63, and um, as I was studying for these psalms, there were awesome psalms, and I think I'm going to spend more time in Psalm 62 than I am in Psalm 63. I'm not going to hold you guys over or anything like that, so God willing, uh, I'll finish in time. Uh, Psalm 62, um, in studying for that psalm, I really didn't find any background on it. And uh, other than it was written by David as he was king of Israel. But that was okay because normally, you know, when we're doing a psalm, we want to give you a background and let you know where David was at. But in this case, I guess it wasn't necessary for us to know the time that it was written since true faith is always in season and it's usually under trial. The attitude expressed here by David is suitable to all occasions which are frequent in the believer's life. Therefore, no, no historic explanation is needed. In reading the psalm, we're going to see true faith as David waits on the Lord and the example he is to us. In this day and age, waiting for anything seems like an eternity, and it's an impossibility. Back then, when the psalm was written, it was easy. They had to wait for everything. They didn't have anything over there. You know, They didn't have any microwaves. Um, they didn't have, uh, if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to walk or, or go by horse or donkey or camel or something. But uh, they didn't have any cars and they didn't have any Metrolinks. No subways, no railroad, no airplanes. You were on foot. It wasn't like it was today. Everything is fast nowadays. Uh, we want it that way. You know, that, that's just, you know, how we've been molded. And um, when I started driving, the speed limit used to be 55 miles an hour. And then it went up to 65. And if you're leaving the state, now it's 75 miles per hour. And that's real, real fast. When I was growing up, you know, you had mainly sit-down restaurants. You know, you would be able to go out with your family and sit down and eat, you know. And this world, we're such in a hurry, and there's no time for waiting that all we want is fast food, you know. I mean, just go right through the driveway, through the drive through and uh, – you get your food, you know. They even have, some places have a little clock right there that if you don't get it in a certain amount of time, you get it for free. We can't wait. You know, waiting is out of the question. I remember growing up, you know, popcorn, you know. I mean, making popcorn. You guys remember that? You know, for the older people here, you used to actually have to buy kernels and make it yourself. You know, put the oil in the pan and, and uh, put your popcorn in there. And once that first kernel popped, you better start shaking, man, you know. And uh, that's that's how it was back then. And then they came up with Jiffy Pop, you know, whatever happened to that stuff, you know. But now it's microwave popcorn, you know, you throw it in the oven and that's not even fast enough anymore because you're sitting there and you know what, three minutes takes too long, you know. Whatever happened to writing somebody a letter, you know. Now it's all about the email, you know. I mean, all you do is um, click it and it's there, you know. I mean, it's faster than the microwave, you know. So um, this world that we live in, it's incredibly fast, and um, I can go on for hours talking about just everything, the Internet, man. Uh, me and my br brother here work for the phone company, and we know that they, they're always wanting a faster speed. You know, it's never fast enough. And uh, we've been programmed and, and accustomed to being impatient and not being able to wait. And let's face it, you know, we don't want to wait. And that's the biggest problem that we have today in the Christian life, you know, we don't want to wait, and it's carried over into our relationship with the Lord. Time and time, and time again, we suffer for it. Um, we're going to start reading Psalm 62, and we're just going to see the example that David had, how he waited on the Lord. He didn't act on his own. So if you guys have a Bible, let's turn to Psalm 62. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. 
Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that the power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. That's an awesome psalm. There's so much there, and we can be here forever just on the first verse. Um, Right here, verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. Now, what does it mean to have your, your soul silently wait for God? Does it mean to be still? David here is proclaiming his faith, and his faith is alone in God. We see what he's going through in verses 3 and 4. It says, how long will you attack a man? It's like he's saying, when is it going to be over? He's getting tired of it. In verse 4, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And, um, you know, so he's right here, and the people that are around him are talking trash about him. They're cursing him, you know. It's like that Proverbs 27, 6, that these were the kisses of the enemy, you know, and they were deceitful. They were buttering him up to his face, but, you know, behind his back, you know, they were spreading lies, you know. So what is David's response to all this? We see it right here in verse 1. He says, truly my soul silently waits for God. He wasn't going to do anything but wait. He didn't go to man or tell anybody what he was going through. His faith was in God and God alone. He said, from him comes my salvation. And sometimes that's what we have to do is to be silent and wait on the Lord. Let's not misunderstand this verse right here. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean to be still. Or, or, I'm sorry, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean sitting idle and not doing anything. It doesn't mean inactivity either, you know. If you're looking for a job, go out and find one, you know. We, we pray that God would hear our prayer. And, um, you know, we pray, Lord, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job. You know, but if you're sitting at home and you're not doing your research on the Internet, you're not filling out applications there, you know, chances are that you're not going to get a job, you know. God is going to bless you with the job if you go out and look for it. David didn't argue with the enemy or try to do or try to tell God what to do. He simply prayed, trusted, and waiting, knowing that God would deliver him in his good time. He says, from him comes my salvation. Okay, now this word here, salvation, it means preservation of deliverance from evil or difficulty and bondage, you know. So that's what God was going to deliver him from. You see, David's faith was in God and God alone. David wants us to know that his faith isn't in God plus something else. His faith was in God, period. You know, he didn't need God and this, God and his army, God and that, God and this. And a lot of the times, you know, we tend to, um, we'll have a little bit of Jesus and we'll have a little bit of that. You know, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, and a little bit of that. And that's not what we need. What we need is Jesus, period. You know, nothing else. You know, I don't know if you guys ever seen that movie, The Jerk. Anybody see it with Steve Martin? You know, he walks out of the house, you know, like he got thrown out or something, you know, and he's walking out and he says, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I'm fine. All I need is this. And he picks up like a chair or something. I don't need anything else. Just this chair. And he starts walking out and he sees something else. And he says, I don't need nothing. All I need is this chair and this book. That's all I need. And I'm fine. And I don't need anything else. And he keeps walking. And he says, all I need is this chair, this book. And this remote control, I don't need anything else. And he keeps going on like that down the street, just picking stuff out of the trash, you know. And that's the way a lot of people are as Christians, you know. They figure they need a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's not what it's about, you know. We need Jesus and Jesus, period, you know, nothing else. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 4, 
If we wait on the Lord, it says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. We need to trust God. Trust Him with everything. As D.L. Moody said, trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in reputation and some, some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God and you are never to be confounded or confused in time or, or eternity. Luther gave a similar testimony when he said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And that's an awesome thing to know. You know what? When it's in God's hands, you're secure, you know, no matter what it is. Verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. God was David's strong tower, his fortress. The enemy could threaten him, tell lies about him, and even assault him. And he would not lose the peace that God put in his heart. Psalm 18.2 says, and this is David speaking here, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It didn't matter what David was facing. And it shouldn't matter what we're going through either. God is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our defense. God is what we stand on. He is that rock. He is our salvation, your deliverer, your rescuer from trials, no matter what they would be. He'll take you out of bondage. I don't know what bondage you guys are in or even if we're even in bondage, but I know that God came to to set us free, you know, no matter what the bondage may be. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 16:7 When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to even be at peace with him. You know, and God is our defense. You know, and, and we have to truly believe that because this is all scripture right here. This is all Bible. Verses 3 and 4. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. I know we have a lot of friends like that, right? You know, I mean, that's just the world right there, you know. We see the type of people that David was dealing with here. They were backstabbers. They were envious of him. They took pleasure in telling lies about him. And these people here were close to him. You know, David was the king, and not just anybody could approach the king. They were his confidants, people who David confided in. And yet, they were consulting together, plotting evil and spreading lies about him. David was God's anointed king. We see how his people, his friends, let evil creep in and get the best of them. You know, they started gossiping and telling lies about him. And they, they enjoyed it. You know, they thrived on that that stuff, you know. And, and you know, like the Bible says that, that gossip, it separates the best of friends. Okay, so they became envious of David. They wanted his position and they slandered him. They praised him to his face, but they cursed him inwardly. Now, you can't fight against God and expect to win. David was appointed by God to be king and he wasn't and it wasn't for man to overthrow him. Now those that seek the ruin of God's chosen are preparing a dead, uh, dreadful end for themselves. God's church is built upon a rock which will stand. Amen. But those who fight against it and its patrons shall be as a bowing wall and a tottering fence which having a rotten foundation sinks with its own weight, falls all of a sudden and buries these in the ruins of it that put themselves under the shadow and shelter of it. You can't fight against God, you know. There's just no way that it's going to happen. David, having put his confidence in God, foresees the overthrow of his enemies. 
in effect, sets them at defiance and bids them to do their worst. Verses 5 and 7 says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now right here, it seems like David is repeating himself in these next verses, and he actually is. But right here in verse 1, he's saying, Truly my soul silently waits for God. This word that he is using here in the Hebrew language is ak, which means a particle of affirmation. So he's affirming or declaring, that is what I'm going to do. And that was to wait silently on God. So that's what he was going to do in verse 1. He was declaring, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I did. In verse 5 right here, he says, my soul waits silently for God alone. We see him still waiting, but now it's more of an exhortation, telling his soul to wait. He says, my soul, wait. He's admonishing his soul to wait. He's telling it, warning it. David was probably getting impatient at this time, like many of us do. He had determined in verse 1 that he, that he was going to wait on God. So here in verse 5, we see him practicing his faith. He was setting out to do what he said he was going to do in verse 1, and that was to wait on God. He was not going to act on his own and go before God. He knew that the Lord was going to deliver him like many times before. He was going to wait with the expectation that God was going to deliver him, that God was going to answer his prayers. David had faith. He wasn't like the guy spoken about in the book of James. And that's in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he would receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, is that you here tonight? Are you guys unstable in your ways? Are you coming before the Lord without the expectation that God isn't going to answer your prayers? If that's you, then why pray? You know, why go before the Lord if we're not coming to Him in faith? You know, because that that's who God is. He, he listens to our prayers you know, he covets our prayers. And if we don't have that faith to know that, you know what, Lord, I'm going to pray to you, expecting you to answer my prayers, because that's what David is doing there. You know, he's not acting on his own. He's waiting on God. God's telling him, you know what, be still, you know. And that's what David is hearing, and that's what he's doing. And we got to have that type of faith that David has. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is what? That he is God. You know, so we go to God because we believe he's God. You know, he's not just a fictitious person that, you know, sits up in heaven, you know. I mean, he, he's God. And the Bible says also in that verse that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, so we got to go before the Lord because he's the only one that can answer our prayers, you know. In the Old Testament, it says that he's not an idol or a statue that, that can't hear your prayers. He listens. He has eyes. He has ears. And he covets your prayers. How many of us have gone before the Lord and thought God wasn't going to answer it? You know, for me, and I'm going to give you just a, a little something that happened to me. And this is just one of the many incidents. You know, at one time, I stopped waiting and I acted on my own. And that was a horrible seven months in my life, you know. Um, this is a little story about my wife and myself. But, uh, and I might get emotional, guys. So uh, forgive me, man. They put some onions down here. Um, you know, God proved himself to be faithful to Maria and I. My wife hadn't worked in almost seven years. And while she did for a brief moment, the seven months, the seven months of hell, you know. And uh, we had been praying about having another baby, or Maria going back to work. And I knew deep in my heart 
that the Lord was telling me Maria should be home. Cindy was telling us that Maria should be home. And you guys all know Sister Cindy, right? She's a blessing. Well, you know, I wrestled with that, with that idea of, of having my wife stay home, you know, because the kids were already getting older, you know, and um, I justified it. You know what? We can use the extra income, you know, It'll be good. You know, the kids, they can come home and, and um, we'll be fine. You know, I even called pastor's perspective on that, you know, and I talked to Pastor Chuck, you know. And um, what happened was, uh, you know, since she wasn't getting pregnant, then, you know, what we said, well, you know what, since, you know, God hasn't blessed us, then, you know, why don't you take that job, you know. So she had two job offers. And one of them was over here in the city of uh, Vernon or Commerce, actually Vernon. And uh, she was going to be selling, um, she was going to work in the office. It was a, a food distributor, you know, so she was going to be taking orders, but they wanted her to know the cuts of the meats, right? So for her training, she had to actually go inside the freezer. And, you know, my wife has a, like arthritis or something like that, right? So, uh, here she's in this big old warehouse, right, where, you know, they're getting the, the chickens right there, and, and they're butchering them up right there, right? So I picture her like Lucille Ball right there, you know, getting the chicken and sorting it out and stuff. And uh, these were, the like, the worst two days of her life right here. You know, she would come home, she would call me, she'd be crying, and I'm like, quit, quit. You know, you, you don't have to work there. So uh, anyhow, um, she quit that job. And um, within that week, you know, somebody called, hey, you know what, you know, you, you want this job. And they gave her another job offer. And, you know, it was right there in West Covina. It, it, you know, we felt like, hey, all right, you know what, this has got to be the Lord. It's right here real, real close. You know, your hours are, you know, the kids would only have to be home an hour. But um, the house fell apart. You know, my wife was at work. You know, she would come home. She's tired. The kids would come home. Um, there's no food cooking on the stove. There's no mom to embrace them, you know, to love them, you know. And, uh, you know, my kids kind of felt like they had a little bit of authority in the house now, you know. The eldest one, you know, now they were the boss, you know. They were the big fish. And uh, they were getting the giving the younger ones a, a hard time. So, uh, you know, we didn't wait on the Lord during this time, you know. I mean, we acted, you know. Lord, you didn't bless us. You know, Maria didn't get pregnant. So, you know what? I guess it's her will to go back to, to work. And so during that time, you know, even our marriage, you know, I mean, we're tired. I was working a lot. She was working a lot. And we didn't really need the finances, you know. But you know what? It happened, and I wasn't going to say no, you know. My wife wants to work, work. But, um, you know, I knew I was wrong. I, I really, really did because that was the conviction that God put on my heart, you know. And I'm not putting that conviction on anybody. You know, so that was something that we had been praying about. God had put that on my heart. So, um, you know, she went to work. After uh, three or four months being at work, she became pregnant. And, um, you know, they found out she was pregnant at work. And, you know, but she hid it for, you know, three months from her job. And, you know, when they found out, you know, they let her go. And, uh you know, we had a little baby, our, our baby Bianca, our little girl, she's 17 months. And um, the Lord blessed us, you know. But she's a little thorn in the flesh too, man, because you know what? That girl is something else. But, you know, here, you know, we went before the Lord. We prayed about it. But we wanted it done in our timing. And it wasn't going to happen like that, you know. So here we said, you know what? Well, then God didn't answer our prayer. Then, you know what? Then it's probably meant for you to go to work, you know. Well, God was going to answer our prayer, but it was going to be in his timing, you know, not in our timing. We wanted it, Lord, we want our baby to be born, you know, this month and all that, you know, but it didn't happen like that. The, but to end the story, you know what? God met us, you know. He was going to answer our prayer. He did answer our prayer. He, he blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful child. And you guys see her running around here all the time. She's so cute. But um, let's see, where am I at here? Okay, verse 6. It says, uh, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. This verse is exactly like verse 2. The only difference is now he says, I shall not be moved. Whereas in verse 1 he said, I shall not be greatly moved. I shall not be greatly moved at all is what he's saying. So the more faith is acted or practiced, 
the more active it is. So now, you know what? In the beginning, he says, I'm not going to be greatly moved. But he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to be moved, period. You know, his faith was starting to grow as he was waiting on God. And he was building confidence, not on himself, but on the Lord. Okay, the more we meditate on God's attributes and his promises and our own experiences with him, like the one that we had, the more ground we're going to get against our fears. You know, they go away because, you know what, like the Bible says that I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power, a love, and of a sound mind. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Verse 7, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. God was his safe haven, his strong tower. Like the Bible says that the righteous run to to him. No, the Lord. What does that verse say? God, I forget it. I'm sorry. He's my strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So uh, verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is refuge for us. So right here, what greater counsel can be given but that which is given in this verse 8 right here. David is talking to everyone and not one is exempt here. He says, trust in him at all times, you people. A lot of the times, we don't see the outcome of our situation, you know, especially when everything's caving in on you. You know, we can't see it, you know, but, but God knows the end result. And um, he's telling us to trust in him, you know, not sometimes, you know, he's saying all the time. You know, we have so many, many trials and, and uh, trusting is a hard thing to do, you know, but I mean, we're talking about God here. You know, he's not human. You know, God has always proven himself to be faithful time and time again. And we have to just know that um, we, we could trust him. You know, David is saying plain and simple. There's no reading between the lines here. What he's saying is everyone, everywhere, always trust in God. But, you know, you could be saying, but you know what? You don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. But God knows what you're going through. You can say, my kids are all messed up. They don't listen to me. They're on drugs. You know, they ran away from home, whatever it would be. God knows that, you know. My husband doesn't love me. My wife doesn't love me. My finances are a mess. You don't think God knows that? I mean, that can be our little secret, but God knows that, you know, my job's in jeopardy. They're foreclosing on my home and my health is deteriorating. These are the things right here that God is going to take from us. I mean, on our own, we can't deal with it. You know, we have to trust in God because he's going to be the only one that's going to get us through it, you know. I mean, as humans, we don't see the outcome. But like it says in the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that we trust in him with all our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him, and he directs our past. Path. I said past. Trust him. That verse goes on to say, pour out what's on your heart. You know, pour out your heart before him. And what does that mean right there? It means to empty it, you know. It's just like you get something and, and you just pour it out like this, you know. You hold nothing back. You know, Spurgeon said, to keep grief to ourselves is like to hoard up wretchedness. You know, that's so true. We got to give it all to him. Everything you have been holding on. Some things we have carried for a long time, they weigh us down. Those things that we never wanted to talk about with with anyone we're ashamed of what people might say. Well, you know what? Today, I'm here to tell you. I'm standing here for this reason. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus isn't ashamed. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. His love never changes. Never, ever changes. He doesn't look at us with human eyes. He's God. And His love never fails. He says in Matthew chapter 28... I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is the Jesus that we love. You know, he cares for us. You know, there's so many things that that we just continue to hoard, man. You know, we got to let these things go and, and trust God. You know, like it says, pour out your heart before him, you know. You don't have to go to man and say, you know what, I'm going through all this, bro. Pray for me. It's good in some cases, but some things we don't want to share. You know, we don't. You know, so God is there to listen to us. You know, he knows what we need even before we ask for it. You know, he is our refuge, but you have to come to him. You got to be willing to trust him. You know, I don't know the types of relationships that, that we all have with him. You know, we can be here. We can come on Sundays. We can come on Thursdays. We can read the Bible, but if we don't have that faith to trust in God, your faith isn't going to work, man, because you know what? You're, you're trying to live to please man, you know, and we need to just come before the Lord, just pour it out like, like a drink offering, like a sacrifice, you know. He wants to hear from us. Surely men of low degree, verse 9, are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. He cautions us to take heed of misplacing our confidence in men and riches or wealth. The heart is deceitful. You know, Jeremiah 17.5 says, and this is the Lord saying, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusted in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when God comes, but shall inhabit the parched or dry places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. But he goes on to say, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Those that trust in God will trust in Him only. Let, it, let us not trust in men, not the men of this world, any man, it says right here in verse 8, men of low degree are a vapor. And what he's talking about right here is, is the common folk, you know. Men of low degree. Though there may be many, and they can be used for their bodily strength and service, and, it can, and can accomplish many things. After all, strength, strength is in numbers, right? So when you have a lot of people, you know, we feel secure. But they can't redeem you, not from death. You know, they carry no weight. It says, like, they're but a vapor. And verse 8 says that the men of high degree are a lie. These men would be the men with the power, the education, the money, and the worldly wisdom. But neither one or the other should be depended on. Of the two men... The high degree one is mentioned here as a deceiver. He's a liar. You know, those are our politicians, your liars, your lawyers, you know. I mean, guys like that, you know. And a lot of the times, we trust in them, you know. We have stuff that's going on with our nation, you know. And, and we want that best, that candidate that's going to come in and be the savior, you know. And, and that's who a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that's what they're doing is they're, they're putting their, their confidence in Obama or Bush or all the ex-presidents, you know. And, and um, all they do is lie, you know. They'll lie to get your vote. And, and once they're in office, hey, you know what? That was then. You know what? This is now. This is reality. This is what we need to do. We need to raise taxes. We need to cut expenses, cut education, you know. But they're not cutting their own wages. You know, they lie because they're politicians, you know. So right here David is saying, 
you know what? Don't put your trust in those guys. It says if they are weighed on the scales, they are all together lighter than vapor. They carry no weight whatsoever. You see, God is our refuge, not man. The righteous run to him at our safe. Verse 10, do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. That's hard to do. You know, I'm telling you, as a believer in the Lord, it's hard not to trust in riches. You know, he says, don't trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. Uh, He's talking about riches got by fraud and violence. If your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. You know, I'm I'm talking right here, uh, not, you know, riches gained by oppression or fraud happens every day. I mean, how many people do do we see uh, getting taken advantage of? I mean, that, that happens every single day, you know. And he says, you know what, don't trust in that stuff, you know. And you yourself, you know, don't oppress anybody, you know. Give them their wages, you know. If... Um, don't be into quick scams, you know, that quick money. You know, he's, if he says, if your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. And it's hard to have riches and not trust in them. You figure you work for them, and they're yours, you know. And you can get caught up. I work at at a place where we work a lot of overtime. I mean, a lot of overtime. And the hourly um, wage is is good, but when you work overtime, you're getting paid lawyer wages. I mean, you're making some money. You're you're making real, real good money. And um, it's hard not to get caught up in that mix, you know. And that's vanity right there. You know, we put our trust and our confidence in our wealth. And it leads us nowhere. You know, how many people do you see happy because they have money? Your friends, I mean, everything is good when we have money. Money has become their idol, and that is who they serve. They're happy, but they don't have the joy of the Lord. You know, that money can't buy that joy of the Lord. The word happy is derived from the word happening. The happenings are your circumstances. So as long as your circumstances are okay, you're going to be happy. I mean, who wouldn't, man? You're making all this money. You're, you're, you're like, hey, all right, praise the Lord, you know. But if you have a job, you're happy. If you have a large bank account, you're happy. If you go out and buy a new car, you're happy. And if you get a house, you're happy. Your circumstances are good, so you're happy. You have good health, happy, right? But now, let's turn the tables now. And let's just say you lose your job. You deplete that bank account. Your car gets repossessed. Your house gets foreclosed on. And now your health is out the door. I mean, you're real, real sick. Your circumstances, your happenings, aren't what you would want them to be. You're contemplating suicide, you know. I mean, this is the God that you're serving right here, man. He's your money, your finances. He can't give you that joy. You see, with God, he'll give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm losing my job. Praise the Lord. My bank account's depleted. Praise the Lord. You know what, bro? My car's getting repossessed. Praise the Lord. They foreclosed on my house. Praise the Lord. You see, as Christians, we know that God always has something better for us. You know, He always does. You know, and is it hard to praise the Lord during that time? Heck yeah. I just went through it. Well, they said that they were going to lay us off, man. And, and you know what? I had a, like a two weeks of a bumpy ride, you know? It was awful. But you know what? Praise the Lord. Let them do whatever they want to do. Because I come to realize that my security isn't in my wealth. My security is in God. And he's going to take care of me. And that's what we have to do is we have to know that we're going to come to him. Because you know what? He's God. And he's going to have something better for you. 
always. You know, he's not going to take something from you and not give you anything better. You're his child, and he loves you, and we have to know that, you know. Let's not trust in the wealth. Let's not live in oppression, but let's trust God. See, as you abide in him, God is going to make your joy full. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know, and we can find that in Galatians 5.22. It says that he gives you love, joy, and peace. You know, that's all there. Verse 11 and 12, it says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that the power belongs to God. Okay, I thought I skipped the page. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. God renders to each one according to his work. You know, that's, that's pretty amazing when you really think about that, that we're going to be standing before the Lord. And this is for everybody. It's not just for the Christians, for the non-believers. It's for everybody, you know. God's going to render a reward. The Bible says if you live a sinful life, your wages is death. You know, it says that in Romans, you know, it says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So God is going to render to us what we have coming to ourselves. We definitely know without a doubt that God is powerful. We see it throughout the Bible in the mass exodus of the Hebrews. You know, God straight up went to Pharaoh right there and he just demonstrated his power. You know, the Egyptians, they had all these gods. And God used Moses to go for what? He chose the, the Hebrews, man, to be his people. These people that were in slavery, over 2 million got, people there, not counting the kids, 2 million slaves. And God says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he wouldn't do it. So God brought plagues upon him. Right there in Exodus 9.13, the Lord said this to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. And say, say to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart. And on your servants and on your people, that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilences, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But he tells them, But indeed... For this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name would be declared in all the earth. God is powerful. I mean, we see him throughout the Bible. I mean, the Israelites, they wiped out everybody. I mean, you know, they, they, went, they went through just conquering land, you know, taking everybody's spoil. And um, how many of us today can give that testimony of God's power? You know, I can look around the room right here and see so many testimonies of what God can do in somebody's life when you trust him. You know, my life, just real quick, my life was all tore up. You know, I was married. I was working, you know, looking at me from the exterior. You'd think like, man, that guy's got it going on, you know. But I was all tore up, man, inside, you know, just um, in bondage. I'm not going to go into the things that I was doing, but I was in bondage, you know, and um, I was a prisoner to these things. And um, in my own strength, I couldn't do it. I tried to quit. I tried to quit. I tried to quit. I remember talking to my buddy Mike right here. We used to carpool together. And he used to tell me, hey, Rick, what's your goal in life? And I used to tell him, to be sober, you know. And he says, really? And I said, yeah, to be sober, you know, because I wasn't at that time, you know. And um I couldn't do it on my own. I, I tried. I went to rehab. Uh, I uh, would stop for a year, you know, eight months, you know, but I always kept going back and kept going back because I always did it on my own strength. And I was into some heavy stuff, you know. But you know what? When I finally made that decision to come before the Lord and just say, you know what? I'm helpless, God. You know, deliver me from this stuff. He did. You know, he came in and he rescued me. On that day, you know, God just took those things from me. And as long as we abide in him, God is going to protect you. He's going to cover you. He's going to remove whatever desire that you have that is not of him. And he's going to give you something else. 
without any effort. I mean, if we're praying to him, just saying, Lord, you know what? I truly believe in you. I do believe that you're going to answer prayer. God is going to be faithful, and he's going to remove that stuff. And you're going to know that it's him. All I can do is declare the power of Jesus, you know, because I'm a living example of what he is, what he's doing, you know. If I stop reading my Bible, if I stop praying, if I stop fellowshipping, I know I'll go back to where I was at, but in a worse state, you know, because there's some catching up that I need to do, right? You know, God is powerful, and we have to just know that. You know what? It says all power belongs to God, you know, all power everywhere, the United States, other countries, in your life, you know. And we have to recognize that, that he is powerful. It says, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. That word mercy right there is kindly forbearance shown toward an offender. It means compassion or an act of kindness. And it also means that God doesn't give us what we deserve. I mean, if we, if God was who he was in the Old Testament, I mean, he never changes. But you know what? Back then, he would wipe out people like that, you know. I mean, you sinned against God, forget about it. You were done, you know. Right here, he's long-suffering. You know, he has mercy, and he extends it, you know. The Bible says that God's mercies are renewed every single morning, every day. We fail, we get up, Lord, forgive me, forgiven, you know. We fail, I sin against God, I ask him for forgiveness, forgiven. You know, that's who we serve. We, we don't serve a God that is going to be there shaking his finger at you while you know that you messed up, you did this, you did that's not That's not for him. You know, his love never changes. It's unfailing. You know, he don't have the kind of love that we have. We'll hold somebody something against somebody. God doesn't do that. You know what he says? My son, you're forgiven. You know what? Your sin is behind me. That's what he says. He says that he gets your sin and he casts it to the deepest parts of the ocean, never ever to be remembered. And that's how beautiful God is. He renders to each one according to his work. The scripture speaks of itself. I really don't even have to comment on that, right? I mean, he renders to each one according to his work. Where's your labor at? You know, are we laboring for the gospel? Or are we labor, laboring for the world? You know, like the Bible says, to store up your treasures in heaven, you know. There, there's a, just like a little saying that they say in the ministry. It says that when you serve in the ministry, the pay isn't that great. But that the retirement is out of this world. And that is so true. Because you guys know, I mean, you know, the guys that are here, they're, they're practicing, you know. I mean, you, you're constantly laboring for the Lord, going out, talking to this person, that person, making phone calls, you know. But that's what God wants us to do. You know, he wants us to labor for him. You know, we labor for ourselves. You know, we store up those barns and those riches and all that stuff. The Bible says that all that stuff's going to burn. It has no value, not in heaven, you know. So we have to, like the Bible says, be eternally minded, you know. Don't have your eyes on this world where the moth and the rust and the thieves are going to come and take it. You know, set your, your stuff ahead, man. Send an email to God, man. Pray, man. Say, Lord, help me, you know. God is going to rescue you. Running out of time here, guys. Okay, now I'm finishing this psalm. Real quick, we're going to see David, though facing adversity, he didn't act on his own. He didn't repay evil for evil. He determined to wait on the Lord. That's the hardest part. And I would just really encourage you guys, whatever you guys are praying about it, wait on the Lord. And he's, he's going to show himself strong. He's going to answer your prayer in that perfect time. His salvation, that came from God and God alone, you know. It, it wasn't from his finances. It wasn't from his army. It, it was from God. That's where his salvation comes from. His trust was in God and God alone. And he was exercising his faith. He waited so... So should we. God was his rock, his refuge, and his salvation. And if there's any unsaved people here today, 
I just want you guys to know that, or even if you've walked away from the Lord, that Jesus loves you. He loves you with all his heart. And he's the only one that can redeem us. Nothing else, man. You know, our riches, the Bible says that they they grow wings and they fly away. You know, Jesus is the only one. The Bible says that God gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I would just encourage you guys all to put your faith, your hope, your confidence, not in man, but in Jesus Christ. He loves you guys. And I would just pray that you guys would continue to be strong in him. Not on our own strength, on his strength. Amen. I'm not even going to do Psalm 63. Because I got like seven minutes. But you know what? I tell you what, man. If anybody needs prayer, they can come up here and and we can pray. But I want to share a poem that I wrote with you guys since I have a little bit of time here. It goes like this. A simple prayer can change your whole life. A simple prayer will deliver you from strife. To cry out to God and ask for forgiveness. To put down your pride and put on your meekness. To follow instruction and not live for destruction. To live in the light and not hide in the dark. To ask for his comfort in a time of distress. To stand on the rock when you're put to the test. To live in the truth when you're surrounded by lies. To give up your life and be willing to die. To lift up your brother when he has taken a fall. To honor your father when he hasn't been there at all. To live for the Lord and sing him love songs. To love one another in spite of our wrongs. To live as a Christian may seem hard to do. That's why God sent Jesus to teach me and you. Amen. All right. Father in heaven, Lord, we just come before you, Father God. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, for following up your word, Lord, for stuttering, Lord, for messing up my reading, Lord. But I just pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your word went forth, Father God, and it was piercing, Father God, that it was convicting, Lord, because we know, Father God, that you love us, Father. You don't hold a gun to our head, Father God. You give us that choice, Father. And I pray that today, Father God, we choose you, Father God, Like you told Moses, Lord, I set these two things behind you. For this reason you were born, to choose life or to choose death. He says, I'm praying that you would choose life. And I also pray that you guys choose life. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.